0: Hello and welcome to this episode on Norman England. The Norman Conquest 1066 is regarded as one of those watershed moments, one of those moments where a previous England dies and something new comes in its place. The Victorians are the ones who came up with the idea of the Norman Yoke, this idea that there was an Anglo-Saxon honest English paradise which was swept away and destroyed by the Normans. But is that actually true? Given that history is about change and continuity, it seems like a good opportunity to actually have a look and see what actually changed.
1: Yeah, and and the easiest way to do it would be to look at different aspects of society. We can look at um, different features of society, the law. We can look at the use of language, the actual way that villages changed. And I I think what we're going to find as well is that there are quite... Some significant changes, yeah, but it depends really on which social class you belong to as to how yeah. much those changes are going to affect you. So some are going to affect the poor a lot more, the peasantry, and yeah. some are going to be really only focused at the top end of society.
0: It's It's worth addressing that concept as well, that idea that Anglo-Saxon England was a, a democratic and wonderful free society, and pointing out that it really wasn't. No. Um, they kept slaves. Their, the, the role of women was severely curtailed, uh, possibly even more so than in the Norman system. And you still had a feudal system. It's just it was of a slightly different flavour. And it wasn't as structured. But no, it still existed, and there was still very defined roles for social classes. Yeah,
1: I mean, and if we talk about the feudal system, you know, the the, the main change, I suppose, in terms of the feudal system, the hierarchy is under the norm as it becomes more centralized and focused around the king. Yes, and, and that's yeah. the, the the main change there.
0: Yeah, the the role of the king. Is it's in the Anglo-Saxon system? It's very much like he's the first among equals, isn't mm, he? He's yeah. just the the most powerful earl, yeah. but he's still relying on the witan and the other earls. But in the Norman feudal system, the king is the king.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and because it's all based on land ownership as well. Yeah. The, yeah. the the fact that he has all the land under his control, yeah. that's really where the source of his power derives. Because yes. it's a, it's a, yeah. a, a way to reward and it's a way to punish as well. Yeah, and you know, so that that in itself is one of the, one of the major changes mm. um, of you know the Norman Conquest. It's and at the very top,
0: and it's worth saying as well that that then filters down to the next level because not only has the king become more important. But the earls have become less important because those big earldoms have been split down into smaller fiefs. So the the power of the earls to challenge the king is you're never going to get somebody like Godwin again.
1: No, and, and yeah, it's, and this is really clever. This is one of the the, the mm. key things that William does to ensure his control. You know, as you said, under under the Anglo-Saxon kings, there were a very small number of earls who controlled the majority of the land. You mentioned Godwin, the the earldom of Wessex being the the most significant, but you know William, he, he splits those elders up, doesn't he? He breaks them down. He, he and then to reward his followers, he doesn't give them all land in one area. Their land is scattered around yeah. um, the country, and that's a way of making them less powerful, and um, and also a way of, of trying to minimise the, the the likelihood of rebellions, yeah. like he'd he'd really suffered from in the early years of his reign.
0: I think it's fair to say that land was much less about control under the Anglo-Saxons than it was under the Normans. It was it was still economically powerful, but it wasn't used as a method of, of controlling the country and controlling people. Yeah. Uh, is it worth talking about the, the knights and the thanes?
1: Yeah, it, definitely. Because, you know, you can argue that the knights just replace... You know, we, we're talking about changes and continuity here. The, the Anglo-Saxon hierarchy... Um, and the Norman hierarchy. There's so many similarities, and the thanes and the knights. They kind of occupy that same um, area on that hierarchy on the feudal system. Um, but the, it's a new name. They are a, a social group that the Normans have brought over. Mm-hmm. So that is another important change.
0: So let's 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 focus right down at the bottom then, yeah. and let's look at Thomas of Fallsgrave, our bog standard peasant has his life changed in terms of the land? No. (laughs) No. No. You're still there, waist deep in mud and pig filth.
1: And yeah. Nothing changes for the peasantry in terms of land. The only thing that changes is who the Lord is, the person who actually owns the land that you either have been granted a small piece of or you're renting. So there's no change for the peasants in terms of the land and under the feudal system. Yeah. Um,
0: is it is it right? Am I right in saying that you actually have slightly more rights as a serf under the Normans than you did under the Anglo Saxons? I'm not sure about that, but I, I have
1: it, it, a right. vague recollection.
0: Yeah. The, I think the Normans that they outlaw slavery, mm-hmm, they do, yeah. Um, so you can no longer be bought and sold. Yeah. You, you can't leave the land. But you cannot be bought and sold, and your family can't be
1: split yeah. up. And I, I think the, the rights of the peasant are more sort of rigidly defined because mm. they have access now to the manorial courts. That's and right, yeah. Like that kind of and element. they have the
0: tax records, they yeah. know exactly what they should be paying and what they shouldn't be paying. Doomsday Book as yeah, well. Su-
1: yeah. So, in, you know, there are some mm. uh, quite significant changes, I suppose. But, but I guess. Not to the, everyday life, yeah. it's just to your position. Yeah, in yeah. a day to day existence, yeah. nothing has changed.
0: I suppose this does spring us back into another one, though, because, as you said, the big difference is who they're working for, Mm. and really the big difference there is the language that your new boss is speaking. Your new boss is not the same as the old boss. They're speaking a totally different language.
1: Yeah, so obviously the the Norman aristocracy, their language is is a version of French. It's not going to be exactly French. Uh, It's a a version of it. It's a Norman version, and um, that language would be used in their court's um in their law and so on yeah
0: but it's it's time for one of my little hobby horses here because i love this because you can still see it yeah. and it's it's food and yeah, the words yeah. for food when it's on the table are norman french mm-hmm. beef pork capon whether yeah. they used to use that uh, and mutton and the words for the animal when they're in the, the field fields. is anglo-saxon english yeah
1: pig cow chicken yeah.
0: And I love the fact that you can see that social class yeah.
1: divide. It's a nice little window, isn't it? Yeah. Into the and it's something that's come down to us through the ages. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you grow the food, we, we eat, eat the, the food. food. <laughs> um the other the thing that hasn't changed is Latin as the mm. language of religion and government and law. Yeah.
1: And that that's you know, Anglo Saxon England was a good Christian country. Yeah. And it followed the um, the customs of the catholic church and latin is the language of the mm. church and that doesn't change in terms of religion and over
0: time you find the two languages coming
1: together you've got
0: anglo-norman which becomes very different to french norman yeah and then you've got uh, the anglo-saxon english which starts to take work because one thing English is is it's a parasite it always has yeah. been it'll consume any language it comes into contact with
1: yeah, yeah. and it, it, yeah. Yeah, it develops as a result of yeah. the of the contact with with uh, Norman French and we adopt words I mean you've already mentioned about food and mm-hmm. so on and those words have been adopted and in, uh, brought into the English language but uh, yeah lots of other examples but, but essentially if you are a, a peasant again in terms of language not much changes yeah. in your everyday life you're still speaking English you're not going to learn how to speak Norman French, no, because you're illiterate, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, again, it's, it's that same thing as we see with the land the change yeah. is at the top, yeah, massive change, very significant change, and then the further you filter down when you get to the bottom, yeah, it's just same old, yeah, same old, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so shall we? We've, we've mentioned law, so shall we talk about, yeah, law? Um, so the, the legal system does change quite significantly, but only in addition. There's not very much taken away. No.
1: What, what, one thing that William and the Normans are very good at is, is they can see what works, what, yeah. what's, what's good, what doesn't yeah. work. And they actually, what you end up with in normal England is a mixture of old Anglo-Saxon legal system mm-hmm. with the addition of the best bits of the Norman system. And I believe that it worked in reverse as well. I think the Normans actually took some of the ideas of the Anglo-Saxon legal system and and sort of took that across to Normandy as well. And then the whole realm becomes kind of standardized in that way. There's there's a couple of interesting changes though, which
0: is for the aristocracy, you get the change in inheritance, which rather than land being split into Mm -hmm. equal parties between the inheriting sons, it becomes primogeniture and it goes to the older, because William and the Norman Kings following him want to keep these fiefdoms intact. Yeah. Um, but I think the peasants see a big change, not in terms of the legal system, because they still have the Hundred Courts and the Shire Courts, but certainly the laws that affect them.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the, the two key ones that you have to remember, that there's the Forest Law, and the Forest Law means that peasants are no longer allowed to, to really hunt in areas that they had always been allowed to to supplement their diets, you know the Normans have basically created game reserves for their yeah. own pleasure.
0: Always remember that the word "forest" means somewhere outdoor. It comes from foray, and it. It's not trees. Forest, forest is wherever forest
1: law applies. And it comes from it's a Latin term, isn't it? As well, so that links back into the the use of Latin as a legal, I suppose, language as well as a as an ecclesiastical one.
0: So these these massive game reserves. If you go in there, if you caught poaching, taking the king's deer or hogs or whatever, you're going to lose your fingers. You're going to lose your hand and eye. Not something that'll stop you from working. No but something that will yeah. stop you from hunting and that's important because hunting's always been a massive supplement hasn't it to yeah the,
1: to the diet it, of course yeah and and but for the and the reason why it changes as well the Normans aren't just being greedy here mm. it's it's another way of them showing that they are now this the yeah. the superior part of the society yeah and hunting is a very it's a noble thing isn't mm. it you know you're going out you're you're hunting the stags you Maybe you're using your birds of prey as well. Yeah. It's a very aristocratic thing oh, to it, do. It, it's
0: a combination sport. It's, a, it's it's a spectator sport as well. People go and watch the king hunt, and yeah, it's it's a very big deal. And yeah. um, um, murderum.
1: Yes, this is the, the other one. This is one of the more sort of draconian <laughs> measures that the Normans bring in, and they they bring it in really because y- y- you have to remember that the Normans are a very small number. Um, and they're living in a in a hostile society, yeah. and to try and dissuade the Anglo Saxons from rebelling or you know speaking up against their position, they introduce this idea of collective responsibility. Yeah, you know, like if one person um, is responsible for a crime, then. Yeah. By association, so is either their family or their village and their close yeah. associates, and that's really what murder is. If if,
0: if if whoever wrote that about me on the desk doesn't own up, you're not going for break. it's, yeah. it's that. And uh, it, the thing is about collective punishments, they they work. You find them being used by these draconian governments right the way up until the twentieth century, the twenty first century. If and it's it's to try and get the the underclass of people to police themselves yeah yeah. You know, so, you know, uh, Gerald of Osgoby over there shouting off and saying that he's going to go and attack the Norman law and everybody else should go, no, 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 don't do it, otherwise we are going to be for the high jump.
1: Yeah, I mean, Is it worth, as well, Just at this point, just mentioning a little bit of the continuity as mm. well with some yeah, of the... Yeah, yeah I mean, there are some other changes, obviously, which we'll come to. But, you know, the way like they, they, they catch criminals, with the hue and yeah. cry and the use of tithings, these yeah. are all established under the Anglo-Saxons. Yeah. And the Normans continue it because there isn't really an alternative... Um, but they do make changes to the ordeal system, which yeah. is a, a big part. Well, just before we do the ordeal, it's probably right. worth
0: just describing what the tithings and the hue and cry are, because yeah. people will probably forget. Yeah. Uh, so the tithing is when you come of age, you are put into a group of ten men uh, of the same age in your village. And the idea is that you're each responsible for getting those people to trial if they're accused of a crime. So you don't need a police force because the village is doing it himself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Fred of Moulton has been charged with stealing a pie. And Mm. I I want a pie now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Fred of Moulton's been charged with stealing a pie. And so he's got to go and answer to that charge. And it's the responsibility of the other nine men in his tithing to get him
1: there. Yeah. And if they, of course, if they don't fulfil that responsibility, yeah. then you get back to the idea of the collective punishment. Yeah. They would all be fined, fined for, for not that. actually yeah. doing their civic duty.
0: And the hue and cry is if you see someone in the commission mm. of crime stealing a pie, you are supposed to raise the hue and cry and mm. give
1: chase and, yeah. and and capture them. Yeah. And, and if you hear the hue and cry, you have you, to, you have to you you have a duty to get involved. Mm-hmm. And again, just like with the with the with the tithings, if you do not get involved if you mm. if you if you're a bit slack and you think oh, I'm going to ignore that then you will be punished as well you will get a fine or
0: and it's it's interesting isn't it because you have this this impression certainly come from the victorian's that the normans are almost like a police state where you've got the armed troops going around mm. and putting down and you see it in the robin hood stories as well but the people who are actually enforcing the law on the ground yeah is the Anglo Saxons yeah. just like it's always
1: been? Yeah, the the Normans just don't have the
0: manpower no. to be able to do that. No, because there's, there's what, yeah. 10,000 of them yeah. and their families at the maximum, yeah. and there's one and a half million Anglo Saxons. They can't do it.
1: No. Um, murder, not murder, sorry, no, ordeals. The ordeals, yeah. yeah.
0: So the, the ordeals are already there, aren't they?
1: Yeah, it, they're a very old um, way of determining your guilt. Uh, God is the judge. And there's the trial by oh the ordeal by fire, ordeal by water, and um, then there's ordeal by combat. Yeah, and each each of them operates on the idea that God is watching and he's watching out for the innocent. Yeah, do we need to? It's probably worth describing. Yeah, yeah, just
0: just briefly.
1: So ordeal by fire, Um, the idea is that you are made to hold like a red hot iron rod, or perhaps you have to take a stone from the bottom of a boiling yeah. cauldron. The, the, the ordeal by fire is the fire is the heat, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's basically, it's hot. Yeah. And then the wound, because you're obviously going to get injured doing this, the wound is bandaged. And then after a set number of days, you return and they unbandage you to see if you've started to heal. Yeah. And if you have, then God says that you are yeah, yeah. innocent and therefore you are free to go. And if it hasn't, if it started to fester or it's infected, Then you're guilty, and then you're probably going to be executed. Um, And the ordeal by
0: water is whether you sink or float. And this is the one that always catches people because it seems counterintuitive until you remember. Because the idea is that if you are guilty, you float. If you're innocent, you sink. And that seems counterintuitive until you remember that water is holy. It's the medium that's used to baptise people. Christ was baptised in water by John the Baptist, etc, etc, etc. So the water's holy, so if you are guilty, the water rejects you. And that's why you float.
1: Yeah, and there's also something I want to point out here, because... Everyone says, Oh, well, you're going to die, whatever. But mm. they, they didn't literally no. just throw you in and say, Oh, yeah, he's innocent. We'll just forget about him. Yeah, another fish you yeah, out. Yeah, you're, you're tied to a rope. They, the idea is that they pull you out. Yeah. You know, so that, that whole myth that you're doomed either yeah. way, that's not right.
0: And trial by combat. And of course, if you can't do it yourself, you can have a champion to fight for you. But again, the idea of God is watching. And if you're innocent, your champion or you mm. will win. But of course, there's another little wrinkle here. Because the Normans, they keep dogs.
1: Because mm. again, that thing—they look, they work. The system's fine, and and with trial by combat as well. This was one that the Normans—they really pushed that one mm. because this was one that they would use to sort out differences between themselves. Yeah. You know, again, it's it's a very manly. Mm warrior type ethos yeah and you know these guys they would have been they could have used sticks and yeah. you know other, you know it doesn't have weapons. to be to the death no, no but yeah. equally if they wanted to they they mm. could use yeah. sharp weapons and people did die
0: yeah the the last trial by combat record in the british isles one of my favorite little stories was a scottish clan right. which was fighting for the right to take the right flank in a battle and two two separate clans were there, and they both wanted the right to do that, and they wouldn't settle it, so they had a trial by combat and killed each other. But two entire clans wiped out. That was in about (laughs) 1340-something or other. Productive. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's it's, it's a good system. (laughs) But the Normans introduced the trial by jury as well. Now, this is what it sounds like, it's what we're used to today, where you've got people of a similar rank to you sitting in judgment over you, and they decide whether you're guilty or not, but this isn't for the likes of you and me, is it? No,
1: it's it. Only you know only the Norman aristocracy have the right to demand this. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's like the the changes to do with land and the feudal system, with language, yeah. all the other laws as well. There's always a different level of impact depending on your social class. So, so that one, the trial by jury, that is a, a it's it's a noble. Yeah. A noble right. You, you wouldn't be able to do that as a no. as an Anglo-Saxon peasant. The other one that has a big change is to the to the
0: landscape, and there's a couple of bits to this, because obviously there's castles and cathedrals we'll get onto in a minute, but the one that everybody always forgets is towns. That the vast growth in the number and the size of towns during this period is, and the the, the growth in trade that comes from that.
1: Yeah. I, it, I think there's, there's maybe two things that we can point out here. One of them is, is this, it, they are linked by and large to castles. Mm-hmm. So when you when the, the Normans first build their castles, yeah. they become a centre of of trade, yeah. you know, for the local area. And it's not just that it, people might be submitting their taxes or, yeah. or you know, administrative, yeah, it's, governmental it's, centre. Yeah. It's, yeah. and w- without getting you know sidetracked by the functions of castles, that that economic. Sort of impetus that a castle yeah, 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 creates yeah, yeah. is really is yeah. really really important, and the second thing I was going to say, um, it's it's a conscious effort by the Normans to do this because when they come to England, these new Norman lords, um, they are given you know areas of land and they want to be rich they want to become yeah. fabulously wealthy mm-hmm. and the that's main, why they're here yeah, that's the entire reason
0: you come to england in the first
1: place because it's a rich yeah. country so granting charters creating markets yeah. and fairs and guilds and yeah. all of that so, yeah, developing okay. towns yeah. is a deliberate Policy, yes, it is. not yeah. not 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 necessarily just from just from the top,
0: but no, no, all at the local levels. area as well. Yeah. Because I, I think I'm right in saying again that Normandy for the period is quite yeah. heavily urbanised. They have quite a lot of towns and cities. Yeah, certainly in comparison to Anglo-Saxon England. So again, like the castles, this is something they've imported with them.
1: Yeah, and
0: it has a major impact on the development of England, but also on the landscape itself. Yeah. Castles then. Yeah, I mean, there are no castles before 1066. They just aren't. And after, within within William's lifetime, there are 500 motte and bailey castles built up and down the country.
1: Yeah, and a substantial number of, of them are being replaced in stone as yeah. well. So they're like real permanent features now. Yeah. they are just part of the Anglo-Saxon and landscape.
0: They dominate the landscape. They dominate the skyline. They are a constant visual, psychological reminder that the Normans are
1: here and they are in charge, and they're not going anywhere. Yeah. So it, for, for the peasantry, it's a real psychological thing, yeah. that isn't it? The Anglo Saxons, yeah. they and because they often build their castles with grand churches or cathedrals yeah. as well. It's you know, it's yeah. that spiritual and the temporal yeah. authority that the Normans have, and they and they literally just. Putting it down there for you to see.
0: You can't overlook the fact that this is alien architecture as well. Mm. This does not look like the buildings that have been in the English landscape before now. So just looking at it, it looks strange and unusual and
1: weird yeah. and unnerving almost alien that's the only yeah. way that like, i can imagine it if, if you were an anglo-saxon who hadn't seen anything taller than a, a one-story yeah. wooden yeah and know,
0: suddenly durham cathedrals there rising yeah, rising it. up
1: to the sky yeah. it, it was have been terrifying and awe inspiring at the same time yeah but you're talking about durham and this is a good example as well but, um in lots of our towns, because there were some, obviously, Anglo-Saxon towns, mm. there were no, uh, they weren't particularly big, no. but they were really impacted by the building of castles some of these places, because they had yeah. to knock down yeah, the whole yeah, suburbs, yeah. and, and the, uh, the actual physical layout of towns changed as a result mm. of castles. And then with the influx of settlers, in many of the towns you ended up, and we still have... Like, clear divisions. like This is the Norman area. This is the Anglo-Saxon area. There's the Norman market, the French market. And some of our towns and cities, they still have... That character. Yeah, yeah. of these uh, quarters, these quadrants. And even the names are still there as well. Mm. You know, French market or English market. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know that they exist. (laughs) Just take it on. (laughs) It's there. (laughs) Just just go look at yourself.
0: Google Maps. The other thing is that the... Uh, the growth of towns has a social impact as well because you get some people who would be sort of peasants under the Anglo-Saxon approach who become burgesses and freemen, um, blacksmiths and uh, people who can buy and sell land and, and services within the town. You get basically the start of a middle class yeah. Yeah. Which simply doesn't exist in the Anglo-Saxon yeah. system,
1: and the burgesses as well—they're a good indicator of how wealthy and yeah. how successful a town is. The yeah. more burgesses you have of this, this, you know, this peculiar class of people that you only find in these towns, the more you have. The the more successful that town is, the wealthier it is.
0: And that's mobile wealth as well. That's wealth that can move around. That's not like a couple of sacks of wool that you've got to barter with. That's actual cash money that can be moved around the country and can stimulate further trade. Mm -hmm. Not to go too far down the economic history route, but Uh that is a big knock-on
1: effect. What if we as well, because we've been talking about towns... Should we move down to the, like, to village level as well, and just yeah. mention because you know one thing you have to remember is the vast majority of people yeah in Anglo-Saxon England lived in rural settings in yeah. villages. So towns are a huge change, yeah. but I guess for in villages it, it's it's the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. it's it's still the same as it is. Your life is controlled
0: by the weather, which is controlled by the seasons. So in summer you're harvesting, in spring you're sowing. In winter, you're tending to the ground, and yeah. and spring, you're just trying to survive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And, and and the the important people in the village are the same as they've always been: the reeve, yeah, the the bailiff, the, the priest. The, yeah, it's exactly the, the same. Miller, it's the guy at the top that's changed. Isn't yeah, it? That, that's that's all it is. So yeah, as if if towns see enormous amounts of change, the the, the opposite is true mm. in our villages. I think the, the
0: most you'd probably see is maybe a stone-built manor house yeah. cropping up here and there, but that's only going to be in the, the more important means, you know. Mm. Yeah. no. So, again, I think if we if we sort of summarise that, would we say that there's a very definite line, depending on your position in the social pecking order, as to how much you're going to notice has
1: changed? Yeah, I, I would absolutely say it. I mean, if you at the top if you are if you are an Anglo-Saxon noble yeah the, the change is, is either fatal <laughs> <laughs> or, or, yeah. or or it's final isn't it yeah, yeah? like yeah. you are no longer the elite so yeah. at the very top in terms of who's in charge massive undeniable change mm. and that change then filters into things like land holding yeah. and the feudal system They are big changes at the top and i'd even say that those changes are also true for your Norman
0: aristocrats who've come over, because yeah. they do not continue to live in the same way no. that they did in Normandy. Because yeah. aside from anything else, William has exerted more control over them here than he ever could over there. Yeah. So that's worth thinking it about is, as well. Yeah. Yeah. All aristocrats yeah.
1: have a major change. Well, well, think about the Marcher Lords. Yeah. I mean, that's a... Yeah, if you're a Marcher Lord, you you, you are essentially like a king of yeah. your own land, aren't you? And yeah. I know there were there were people in similar situations in Normandy, but, but not but as not, freedom of movement. No, 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 no. no. Um, so yeah, so at the top, massive changes. Um, in the middle, I mean, we're talking about the burgesses. So you've got the creation of yeah. the burgesses. Yeah. Um,
0: but that's 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 in certain large towns, and it's not having a massive
1: impact yet.
0: Mm. Give it a hundred years. Give that two hundred years, and that's gonna
1: that's gonna make a big change. Yeah, um, I, I'm trying to think as well, like in terms of, of law, if we summarise it, and again that, that change there, I suppose, is going to be felt more at the bottom with with forest laws and and yeah. But then other types, of, other aspects of the legal system, they're designed, aren't they? They're part of the control mechanism yeah. that the Normans yeah. have. Um, so yeah, every, everyday life. At the bottom. Yeah.
0: It's really not changed. Yeah. Very well. Apart from murder and forest laws, and forest law really is the one you're going to notice. Yeah. And that's the one that's going to grate.
1: Yeah.
0: That's the one that's really going to Re- make you resentful. feel. Resentful. Yeah. yeah. Um, You'd notice the castles. Yeah. You'd notice the towns. Yeah. Um, I think it will probably be only the first generation that would notice the castles, though.
1: Yeah. Think about yeah. it.
0: The speed with which these modern baileys go up it's only going to be the ones who were alive in 1060, 1065. Yeah. To them, it'll be horrific.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about life expectancy as well, yeah. which was not very high. No. By, so by 1080, people have... it's part of the landscape, yeah. isn't it? And, and most, most people won't really remember no. what life was like before the Normans. It'll be part of the stories and yeah. the songs. And yeah. you know, Hereward, the way it's going to come yeah. back,
0: and because yeah. by by the time William dies, there's no more yeah. revolts. There's no, you know, it's settled. Yeah, that's astonishing when you think of it in those terms. Yeah, such a massive change, and within twenty years, it's just sort of
1: this done. Is How it is? Yeah. I do you know what, mate? Why is it? Is it because the Anglo-Saxon nobility were just gone? The, gone. the, the yeah. people that could have made the difference, that yeah. could have stood up just didn't exist. Did is, even... is it
0: because that the people at the bottom don't notice any change? So yeah. it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make any difference to them, yeah. so there's nothing for them to kick back against. It's,
1: it's an interesting
0: debate there. Because if you think about it, all of the revolts that happened during that, we're getting a bit off the topic here, but yeah,
1: Sorry. all yeah. of the
0: revolts that <laughs> happened during that decade come from dis, disinherited yeah. or... Unlanded Anglo Saxons or exterior kings who think they've got a claim.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's they,
0: no, there's nothing like the peasants' revolt where it's an uprising from beneath.
1: No, no. Yeah, the, yeah. So once, once Edwin, and Morcar, and Edgar, yeah, Waltheof, those guys are gone. Yeah. Then
0: you're just into business as usual with your yeah. barons, and that's not going to come to fruit until the next century. Yeah. When the barons start increasing their power yeah maybe that's why this one is successful whereas you look at other conquests i well, it's like the romans isn't it it's like the romans though isn't it where you go in (laughs) yeah and you don't change anything you just just change at the top yeah maybe that's the secret maybe that's where those big wars of conquest in the in the 20th century go wrong
1: yeah and because If you look at how successful, was, because the Normans, don't forget, they weren't just doing this in England, they well, were doing this in the Mediterranean, Sicily, in Sicily yeah. the, the, the Holy Land, they, yeah. were, they were key to the yeah, Crusades, yeah, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. The Normans, yeah. Latter-day Romans, maybe. Yeah, I quite like the idea. That's an interesting thought, it is, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I like the idea as well about how, for the, because not much changed for the people at the bottom, once those... Key Anglo Saxons are gone and dead and their families are no longer relevant. Yeah. That's why there is no
0: There's nothing further. No. No.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Never thought of it in those terms before. (laughs) So there you go. Uh so that's that's where we're at, really. Is there change? Yes, there's a massive amount of change at the top. Is there much change at the bottom? No, not a great deal. You need to marshal those bits of detail and that will help you um keep an eye on change and continuity in Norman, England. We haven't mentioned religion, although there are some big changes in religion, but there are other episodes on that. that That's for a a different episode. Yeah, Those, those are already existing on the feed, so have a listen to those. But that's Life in Norman, England. Thank you very much for listening. Good luck in your exams.